shadows Bound for the gallows A dead man walking Till love came calling Rise up Inside, we know that it'll cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. But this is our call. 
to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith. Alpha, who will you invite? Well, here we are talking our, our way through a series on Restore and Renew. And uh, we talked last week about loving God. Today we're going to talk about loving others. Uh, it's a big challenge, isn't it? Uh, would you say you're pretty loving toward other people? Most importantly, would people say about you that you're very loving toward them? Uh, we want to explore that today. Uh, a mom with two very energetic boys, let me put it that way, uh, two brothers very close in age, uh, and she makes them pancakes every week, sometimes for breakfast, sometimes for dinner. It's their favorite meal of the week. Uh, and the boys, uh, being boys, constantly fight over who gets the first pancake because these are pancakes that fill the whole pan. Now, I'm sure she can make smaller ones or divide it up, but that's not going to work because they want the pancake. So uh, they would fight about who got the first one. So she set up a, a system where uh, they'd alternate. Each week, the other brother would get the first pancake. Well, they still fought. And so the mom was really frustrated. And being a godly and wise woman, she wanted to turn this into a teaching moment uh, because she wanted her boys to become godly and loving men. And uh, she was a single mom, and that was a big challenge in and of itself. And she thought, well, I really want to get them going early to think about others and how to love and care for others. So she said, boys, uh, I, I want you to be like Jesus. And Jesus wants you to serve one another in love. In fact, uh, Jesus would let his brother have the first pancake. And I want you to be like him. Well, immediately, both the boys <laughs> looked at each other and said, you be Jesus this week. You, you, no, no, you be Jesus this week. Uh, and so, so it went. Uh, she made the point, whether or not the boys got the point anytime soon remains to be seen. But Jesus said it in John 13, 34 to 35. We know this as the, Greek, uh, the new commandment. It's the basis for Maundy Thursday services during Holy Week. Uh, John 13, 34, 35 says this, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You be Jesus this week, right? So the first point of the, the message is this. You'll never, ever hear anyone say, you know, there's just way too much love around here. Whether at home or at school, at work, in any human situation, uh, it, you'll never hear somebody say, you know, gosh, there's just too much love around here. Now, sadly, in our culture, you might have people say there's way too much sexual harassment going on here, or there's too much selfishness, or this place is so filled with indifference, it's suffocating. You know, but you'll never hear somebody say, gosh, there's just too much love. Too much love. Wouldn't it be great if you went into a place where it just was filled with love. You went to the doctor's office and they're, they're, the people were just loving and kind and considerate. You went to the dentist. You, you went to your attorney's office. You went to the mall. Uh, you went to work. You came home from a long day from at school or at work and your family. You think, oh, and everywhere you went, you'd say, there's just so much love here. That's a great aspiration, but it's not likely, right? You'll never hear anyone say, we've got too much love around here. And, and that's just not some kind of a naive and idealistic pipe dream. 
Uh, without love, every good thing is diminished. Think about that. Without love, even good things uh, don't reach their highest good. Uh, without love, uh, things are diminished because love elevates every good thing. I mean, think about it this way. In our culture, money, sex, and power reign supreme. Uh, the assumption is, and, and it's, not, it's not presented this way, but it's definitely represented this way and reinforced this way in media and in, in entertainment, um, held up as, as this is the end-all, be-all. Money, sex, and power. If you have money, if you're attractive, uh, and if you uh, have power, man, then I'd be happy, right? Life is really good. But think about it. Without love, money, sex, and power can be and will be uh, corrupted and corrupting. When you think about the people who have achieved all the money they want, all the sex they want, the sex appeal that they want, all the power they want, either they're corrupted or they corrupt others. It's not a good situation. Only with love do we attain our fullest potential for good in anything. If somebody says, I, I love my work and that's all they do, or I love being an athlete, and that's all they do. I mean, it's a cliche now when you see athletes uh, burned out doing horrible things, or people who've aspired all their dreams and goals, and they love it so much at the expense of everything else. But it's not really love. It's, it's a selfish preoccupation. It's about their glory, about their satisfaction, their fulfillment, their prestige, their status. And so only with love do we attain our fullest potential, potential for good in anything. Uh, and that's why we can never have too much genuine love. You can never have too much genuine love. Why? Because love, the kind of love that uh, God tells us about, is incorruptible. It makes us better, not worse. Uh, and that's also why we settle for dysfunctional and destructive versions of love. If we assume that I just can't get the love that is that wonderful ideal, I'll just settle for something else and something less. And of course, that's disastrous. When people make compromises um, in any part of their character or their integrity, um, it's sad. It, it hurts us when we do that. When we, when we dilute the truth, when we compromise values that we know are core to who we are, when we disregard uh, or, or disparage or disrespect God's word, it does not go well. Because God has wired us to respond to love. And love is what shapes our character. We're going to talk about that today. And love is risky. My gosh, love requires us to be vulnerable because you don't want to look foolish in saying to that person, would you be my friend? They say no. Or, gee, do you like me? No. You're waiting for the other person to say, hey, I'd like to be a friend. Or, or hey, I like you. Or typical thing at school, you know, somebody sends you a note or has a friend say, hey, my friend likes you. And then it feels safe. We feel confident to say, yeah, me too. But love requires that we're vulnerable. We must open our hearts to it. We've got to take risks when it comes to love. That's why when we, when we compromise our values, we're taking risks that really are about being reckless. They can't go well. But for genuine, authentic love, uh, to risk is absolutely essential. And to be vulnerable um, is a requirement. You've got to open your center. You've got to risk being hurt and disappointed. And of course, when we do this, it, it often brings us great joy. When we step out and do the loving thing, it brings us great joy. Even if we, 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 we're not sure how somebody will respond, if we do the right thing 
in the right way, they may or may not accept it. They might reject it, but at least we have the, the satisfaction and, and often the joy of having expressed our true heart in a situation. But it also exposes us to devastating grief and loss. Uh, if you've had someone close to you die, if you had something close to you die, sometimes the death of a vision, I wanted to do this, I wanted to be that, it didn't work out, and you feel like, oh, I made myself so vulnerable, I, I told everybody I wanted to do that, I tried so hard, it didn't work out, grief and loss. A pet, uh, your pet dies, you have to put your pet down, uh, it's devastating, right? Now you take that pet and turn it into a person, and the person that you love and they die, it's devastating. The grief and loss uh, is it feels like you can't go on. Life has stopped. There's no reason to move ahead. C.S. Lewis uh, talks about this. He lost his mother as a young boy, and it caused him to turn inward. Now, he was incredibly creative and successful to this day, as right now I'm talking about C.S. Lewis. Uh, he's influenced the world in so many great ways, but as a little boy with his mother dying, uh, he stopped thinking about God, uh, and, he, and, he, and he just shut feelings out and turned inward. And, and, and of course he developed a rich imagination uh, that blessed a lot of people, but it sort of locked him in to a way of being that wasn't satisfying ultimately. In fact, in one of his books called The Four Loves, he says it this way, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. And of course, what he's saying is you've got to keep it superficial. Because if you care too much, if you feel too deeply, it's going to hurt you. Now, that's not a satisfying way to live, even if you're super successful at what you do. Even if the world is saying, you're great, you're fantastic, you're awesome, there's something missing. There's something unsettled within us. That's why until we respond to God's great love, uh, there's a dissatisfaction, there's a restlessness in our heart. And and so it goes in relationships. If we don't enter into deep relationships, appropriate relationships, uh, deeply, uh, there's a sense of restlessness and a floating anxiety about, gosh, why is my life so unsatisfying? Well, meeting Jesus uh, changed this for C.S. Lewis. He, he started to be willing to open himself up, deeper relationships with people. He wasn't so preoccupied with his own career and his own needs, wants, and desires. And he could see the comparison from when, before he knew Christ until after he knew Christ. And then later in life, he, he met a woman named Joy Davidman, uh, a, woman, uh, a woman of a Jewish background who'd become a follower of Jesus. Uh, she's an American, a divorced lady, and she... Uh, and he met, and they're the most unlikely people uh, to, to connect and bond, but they did. And it was a deep and abiding and wonderful love. They married, and then she was diagnosed with cancer, and she died. Heartbreak. And so C.S. Lewis, in a poem called As the Ruin Falls, describes the before and after of joy. Before and after Jesus came into his life, joy came into his life. And so he says... All this flashy rhetoric about loving you, I never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you, all friends, merely to serve my turn. Peace, reassurance, pleasure are the goals I seek. I cannot crawl one inch outside my proper skin. I talk of love. A scholar's parrot may talk Greek. But self-imprisoned always end where I begin. This is the the, the before 
for C.S. Lewis. This is really who he was. And so he's describing himself and us. We want to love, but we're not naturally good at it. We're afraid of the cost that comes with it. We want to play it safe and keep it superficial. But then he reveals how much he's learned about authentic love from his wife, Joy, and from the Lord, too. So he says this, only that now you have taught me, but how late, my lack. I see the chasm, and everything you are was making my heart into a bridge which I might get back from exile and grow a man, to become a man in full. And now the bridge is breaking. For this I bless you as the ruin falls. The pains you give me are more precious than all other gains. Lewis learned the transforming, the transforming blessing of love. He learned that the transforming blessing of love is worth risking for. In putting his faith in Christ, uh, and, and J.R.R. Tolkien was very instrumental in helping Lewis open his heart to Christ, and then in Joy, uh, who helped him open his heart to love uh, and marriage. It's a blessing that is worth risking for. And he learned that he could grow in his capacity to love. And he was willing to risk the deep, deep grief and loss that he went through. He was listless. He was hurt. He was, he was, he was just bereft after her death. But even then, he said, it was so worth it. It's always so worth it to learn to love like God loves us. Have, have you learned that? Are you learning that? Are you learning how deep is the Father's love for you? Are you learning how deep you can learn to love other people? Or are you holding back? Are you playing it safe? Uh, Lewis learned that he could grow in his capacity. You and I can grow in our capacity. Uh, we need guides, though, to make that journey. Jesus was a guide for John, and, and John the disciple, the apostle, is a guide for us. And God raises up any number of guides to help us learn what it means to grow in our capacity to love. And in the process, he makes us guides for other people. Parents are meant to be guides for their kids. Husbands and wives are meant to be guides and encouragers of one another. Friends with friends, mentors and protégés. The senior to the junior, it's, it's a powerful thing when somebody says, I want to show you how to love. I want to teach you how to love. I want to encourage you as you step out and love, to be wise and discerning in love. And so John the Apostle says this in his letter, 1 John 4, 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now he's writing to believers, so that's the context here. He's not just writing to everybody. He's saying you already know something of the love of Christ. And now it's important that you actually embrace it and experience it for what it is. He says, this is how whoever, he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him and love through him. This love, not, this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Complete, uh, this, this wonderful word, teleos, it's completed, it's perfected. It comes to its natural, uh, fullest expression. That's the kind of love that God is giving us and the kind of love that we're growing in that at some point long in the future, we'll see the, f the full fruits and expression of that love. 
But in the meantime, we can grow in our capacity to receive it and to give it. So you'll never hear anybody say there's way too much love around here. And the second point would be this. Saying God is love isn't equivalent to saying love is God. It sounds like a clever riff and that they're equivalent, but they're not. John tells us that God is love. Our culture tells us love is God. What's the problem with that? Well, if love is God, we define both. If love is God, God becomes this amorphous, indistinguishable thing from my feelings, my projections, my needs, wants, and desires. That's okay to have needs, wants, and desires. But if I put myself in the place of God and say, I'll tell you what real love is. Love is God and I'll be the determiner of what that looks like and feels like. Uh, Love falls apart. It becomes a mess. It becomes all about us. Us, us, us. To say that God is love then means that he defines the nature of his love. Oh, God is love. Well, Lord, what does that look like? And of course, the scripture tells us this. It looks like holiness and righteousness and goodness and justice. This is the core of love. God's love is always holy, righteous, good, and just. It's not just a frothy feeling. It's his very essence and character expressing itself in what we call love. Concern for our well-being and acceptance of us as we are. A commitment to help us become what we could never be but for him. That's the power of love. Genuine love, authentic love is transformational. That's why it's so captivating, why it's so attractive. Why once we have a taste of it, we want more of it. We realize we can't live without it. We don't want to live without it. And so that's why God himself can be the conquering lion and the sacrificial lamb. We see this in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. Uh, John has this vision. The same John who's writing this passage in his letter in Revelation has this vision of God and he sees that God is both the great lion of Judah, the conquering lion and also the sacrificial lamb. How could God be the lion and the lamb? This is the nature of God's love. Holy, righteous, just, and good. In fact, when Isaiah had a vision uh, while in the temple worshiping God, what did he see? What did he hear? Uh, He saw and heard angels worshiping God. What were they saying? Holy, holy, holy. They weren't saying nice, nice, nice. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. What about me? What about me? What about me? Holy, holy, holy. Uh, Thrice holy. It's called the trace hagion in Greek. The trice hagion. The holy, holy, holy God. That means the perfect holiness of God. The perfect righteousness of God. The perfect goodness of God. The perfect justice of God. It presents itself as love. And of course, uh, he realized immediately his lack. (laughs) His lack. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And and one of the creatures that was was worshiping the Lord took a coal from the altar and took it and touched his lips and purified him. You see, when we're in the presence of God's love, it, it humbles us. It humbles us and ennobles us because we realize it's him giving us the love that we need to do what he has created us to do, as to walk in love, live in grace. And so at that point, Isaiah hears a voice, the Lord saying, whom shall we send? And what does he do now that he's been purified and cleansed 
included in this moment. He says, Hineni, here I am, send me. See, this is the power of love. It equips us, it motivates us to say, Lord, I want to go on your behalf. I want to live in your company in a way that I would be able to be useful to you in helping others come to know you. That's why it's transformational. It doesn't distort who we are. It clarifies and strengthens and perfects who we are. So saying God is love means obeying his command to love as he loves, to learn to obey his command to love as he loves, which is with righteousness, with justice, with goodness, with holiness. So if you're ever wondering, am I loving anybody? Ask yourself, is there righteousness here? Is there justice here? Is there goodness here? Is there holiness here? Take some time to understand what those terms mean and say, okay, if I'm evaluating my capacity to give and receive love, I can clarify my understanding of what I'm doing or feeling or what I'm seeing by simply saying, is it righteous? Is it holy? Is it good? Is it just? Not self-indulgent, sloppy agape. This word that John is using is the word agape. Unconditional, unqualified love. I love you. It's gift love. Gift love. But it's not sloppy. There's a discipline, there's a content to it that we've just been talking about. Holiness, righteousness, goodness, and justice expressed in love. Compassion, empathy, all those other qualities uh, that deliver those important core values that describe the Lord. Anything else or anything less makes a mockery of God's gift love to us. And that's why on an occasion like Valentine's Day, Uh, Love can be very frothy and superficial. It's a fun thing to celebrate for Valentine's Day, but if that becomes our our standard for what love is, um, it's like building your house on the sand. Uh, When storms of life hit it, it collapses. There's nothing there. But the foundation of God's love is what holds us up and makes us strong and resilient. We'll talk about that in a moment. But John goes on to say in 1 John 4, now 16 to 21, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It's something we can actually understand and then rely on, trust in. It's like sitting on a chair. I think that chair will hold me up. When you're driving your car, you think, I, I, I'm, I, I'm trusting that the brakes will stop, the gas will give me acceleration. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete, perfected, fulfilled among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we're like him. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We're no longer afraid of being punished for being inadequate. Like Isaiah in the temple saying, woe is me. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not worthy or qualified. God's love makes us worthy, makes us qualified. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12 says, God loves us so much he even disciplines us to help us develop that inner strength. There's nothing to be afraid of. Maybe you're going through a really, really tough time right now and you think, oh, God has abandoned me. Where's God's love when I need it? Well, maybe God is allowing you to be in that situation. Maybe you know, that you've created it by decisions and choices you've made or people are doing something wrong. But even so, in the middle of that, God says, you know, I'm going to let you go through this because in this situation, in this crucible, in these difficult times and challenges, I'm going to teach you how to love yourself and other people and me. God uses everything for our good. 
That's why nothing and no one can separate us from his love because he will redeem all of that. So nothing in life is wasted if we're paying attention to God and saying, Lord, what does it look like for me to know and rely on your love in this situation? And so he says, the one who fears is not made complete or perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. You're living in a self-delusional way. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see the practical nature of God's love. You can see if it's present. You can see if it's working. You can see and feel and, and reflect on, is it working in me? How is it working in me? How is it working in me and through me in ways that I can uh, offer to other people? If it's all about me, I'm not understanding about something about his love or relying on it. Because love always builds community. Now sometimes communities are torn apart because people aren't willing to love. You can't control if people will love or act righteously and justly with goodness and holiness. But where you are willing to be present in community based on God's love and other people embrace that, love builds community. The lack of love undermines and destroys community. A willing man and a willing woman saying, I want to learn how to love, builds a good marriage, builds a great family. Friendships are built on two people saying, hey, I am willing to learn how to love. A willing man, a willing woman. Are you willing to learn how to love? You can't control anybody else's response or choice. But as you encounter people who also are willing to love, a beautiful community will emerge, and you'll notice that Christ is at the center of that. So here's the good news. If the first thing I said today is that you'll never hear anybody say there's way too much love around here, and if uh, you get the second point of the message that saying God is love isn't equivalent to saying love is God, the third point of the message is this. The good news is that God provides what he commands. God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't also either equip us to do or provide what we need, the resources we need to do what he commands us to do. When God said, whom, whom shall we send? And, and Isaiah responded by saying, Hineni, here I am. It's me, here I am, send me. Then God would give him what he needed. And of course you can see in the rest of Isaiah's amazing ministry that God gave him what he needed. Now at times Isaiah was willing to suffer and sacrifice, but God gave him what he needed to fulfill the mission he'd given him. See, when we live under God's love, life isn't always easy, but life is always good. Because God is always good. God provides what he commands. How do we know? Again, from the word of God. Romans 5, 5. It says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into us through his Holy Spirit in us. Who has been given to us? It's all a gift from God. God is resourcing us with his love so that we can obey his commands to love one another as he has loved us. His Holy Spirit is there to help us learn how to do that. His word guides us in doing that. Uh, His community supports us in doing that. And through his Holy Spirit working in us, we can learn to love like Jesus. Everyone is in a process of learning, applying, failing, and excelling in love. You're excelling if you're 
paying attention. You're failing if you're not paying attention. If you feel like you're flailing and failing in love, what are you not paying attention to? Your own motives, your own behaviors, your words, your deeds? Uh, Are you trusting people who shouldn't be trusted? Are you expecting and assuming that people will love you in ways that they have no capacity to do that? You know, powerful love is also discerning and wise love. So he wants to teach us how to love. And at times we'll fail, but most of, most of the time we'll excel. We'll make progress in learning how to love, to give and receive love. And so where are you in that process? Don't, as I said, don't be discouraged if you're facing discipline, if you're going through difficult times, because God will use that. We are refined by God's love, which is a refining fire. It's not a s'mores party. He's burning off of us all the stuff that's impure and unnecessary. It's compromising us. That beautiful process of, of refining metal to make it stronger, uh, to make it more resilient, instead of being brittle and weak. God's love makes us strong. For what? To love more. He gives us love so we can love more. So we're refined by that love, even during difficult times. Why is this so important? Well, because there is an urgent and extraordinary need for love in our world. There is an absolutely pressing need for more love in our world. And where is that going to come from? From you, from me, from people learning how to receive God's love and to give God's love in relationships with one another. Otherwise, marriages are going to bust apart Countries are going to bust apart. This urgent and extraordinary need for love in our world today is about marriage and parenting. It's about the church. It's about the marketplace. It's about the public square. It's about everywhere where people live. There's a need, an extraordinary and urgent need for more love. And not an extraordinary and urgent need to demand more love, but to bring more love, to be present in the love of Christ at home and at work and in the marketplace. And God's love is the most powerful resource available to everyone on the planet. There is nothing more powerful than God's love. It was God's love that lifted Jesus from the grave. It's God's love that changes our hearts from dead to living. It's God's love that holds the world together. All things are held together in Christ. So don't let anybody ever tell you that God's love is not that important. Oh, come on, let's get real. Let's get practical. Love isn't the most important thing. Really? Okay, what is? Well, if you feed everybody, if everybody's well-fed, but they're not loving, so what? They're well-fed, but mean, miserable. Well, what if we educate everybody? Well, if everybody's highly educated, but lacks love, what do you have? Again, a bunch of mean, miserable people using knowledge to hurt other people. Well, what about, and if you go anywhere, again, we said this at the beginning of the message. Everything is diminished when it lacks love. Everything is elevated when it's filled with love. And again, love is not just a frothy feeling. It's holiness and righteousness and goodness and justice that delivers uh, through empathy and compassion, forbearance, acceptance, patience, right, Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful expression of those things. So, As you are shaped by his love, you will thrive and flourish in this life. It's just the way it is. As we learn to love in him, our lives thrive and flourish. 
And even if you're in a really difficult situation, you will be the one who thrives and flourishes and allows other people to have some hope. You will love God and love your neighbor and, and you'll learn to love yourself in the process. You'll become more responsive, responsible, resourceful, resilient. These are powerful and necessary qualities to navigate life. You will rearrange your priorities around love. Well, what's loving? Again, you go back. Is this righteous, holy, good, just? Am I showing empathy, compassion, care for other people? Uh, you'll stop shaming and blaming yourself, and you'll stop shaming and blaming others as you learn to lean in to love. You'll be uh, more innovative. You'll be more creative. You'll be more disciplined in the way you love. You'll say yes better, and you'll say no better. You'll fulfill your commitments better. You'll handle setbacks and discouragement more effectively. You won't be blaming everybody else and walking away in a huff. You'll be saying, okay, what do I need to learn in this situation? Uh, you'll seek and accept help and constructive feedback. One of the ways God loves us is, is he allows people to say, hey, I see some things in your life I'd like to talk to you about. How can I help you? And if we say, no, no, I don't need your help out of pride, a lack of humility, a lack of vulnerability, we miss a chance to grow in love. So you let nothing prevent you from pursuing the object of your love, which is the Lord and then people in his name. You'll prevail in his love as his love prevails in you. Remember what, what Paul said in, in, in his letter uh, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, faith, hope, and love. Uh, in chapter 13, uh, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And so apart from his love, you will resent and resist his commandments and his guidance. When people are resisting the love of God, they resist the word of God, the authority of God, the sovereignty of God. They say, don't, don't tell me what to do. I resent it and I reject you. It's as we lean in and respond to the love of God uh, that his commands become precious to us. His guidance becomes essential to us. Lord, what does your word say? What is your will for me? And the Holy Spirit, again, is, is the power of God in us to help us be wise and discerning about what's good, bad, right and wrong. But I ask you, how are you doing in love? Are you holding back or are you embracing it? Are you tentative or are you all in? I'm not asking you to be perfect. God doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks us to be present, present to him and present to one another in his name. How are you doing loving Jesus? How are you doing loving yourself? How are you doing loving other people? How are you doing loving his church? How are you doing loving a world that is in desperate need of the love of God? Let me get really personal now. Are you feeling loved? Are you feeling loved? Sometimes I just know I'm loved, but I'm not feeling it. And then I have to ask myself, why am I out of alignment? Sometimes I need wise counsel to help me see what alignment looks like. Sometimes it's just stopping long enough to get out of my pity party to say, you know what, uh, I'm not feeling love because I'm not paying attention to the love I'm receiving. And as I start to pay attention and appreciate it, I start to feel it. Sometimes feelings uh, are a symptom. They're a sign that something isn't right. But to go with our feelings is a big mistake. Feelings alert us to something isn't right or something is really right. If I have really great feelings, it might be really right. If I have really bad feelings, something might be really wrong. But, but before I start blaming other people or blaming myself, I have to say, what are these feelings telling me? And if I'm not feeling loved, but I know people are loving me, how do I come at that? Now, if I'm not feeling loved because I've never let people close enough to love me, that's, again, part of that alignment process that we need to deal with. And in what ways can you show more love? 
It's counterintuitive, but the more we learn to love, the more we feel loved, and the more we can receive love given to us. I, I think back to that mom and the pancakes for the boys, and the boys saying, you be Jesus this week. And what they were saying to get out of responsibility, we can flip and say, you know what? That was really good counsel from those two boys. You be Jesus this week. I want the first pancake. We can say, you know what? Good, good, good counsel. I will be Jesus this week. I will learn to respond to the love of God and to love others in his name. I will learn to love as, as he loves me. You be Jesus this week. You be a disciple of Jesus, learning from him how to do that and be that. Don't show up saying, I am Jesus. But show up saying, you know, in your head, Lord, help me be you a present to these people as you work in me. Help me be really who I am in you in this situation. His love will restore you and renew you to love others like he loves you. And you know what? What's really great about that? You've got God's promise on that. You've got God's word on that. You've got God's power for that because he's poured his love into you through his Holy Spirit. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that you love them, you love me that much that you've poured your love into us through your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would say yes to you, open up our hearts and minds and hands to you. That we would say, Lord, uh, here I am, send me. Teach me uh, to love like you have loved me. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and righteous and just and good name. Amen. Well, let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord... Make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord fill you to overflowing with his love. Both now and, for never, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.